Going to going to uh, uh, Comic Con every year for decades. <laughs> Not the yeah. last two though. Wah, wah. Yeah. Well, wow, except, Jeff. except I'm <laughs> just counting, rub it in. I'm counting that I watch the uh, Comic Con at home panels. So. Yeah, so. but does that really count? Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. The, even watching those I, panels, I was like, "Wow, this is." I mean. It's good that they're putting something out, but this is kind of lackluster on some of these. <laughs> all of that, all of that uh, in-person stuff that they're trying to do online, whether it's live theater or conventions, yeah. even the best ones have an element of tedium <clears throat> to them that is yep. just like, oh god, and and just and even just the thing that floors me is you have companies like Warner Brothers and Paramount and that kind of stuff, and when they do their panels, it's like the sound consistency between each of the talking heads and the visual on them is just so inconsistent. And I'm like, yep. really, you couldn't send these people like uh, um, a tele teleconference kit. Yeah. So that everyone has the same microphone. Everyone has the same video setup. Exactly. It, and it's not even that expensive, but everybody's on their own laptop or PC. They've got or their phone. own. Yeah, yeah, they've got their own headphones. Uh, you know, a lot of times it's like the the dangly one, like you're wearing, Steve, or they have the the AirPods. Yeah, Steve, it's your dangly one. Or it's the hey, laptop man. camera, like yeah. you're on, Steve. Or... I like my dangly one. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number six hundred and one. I am Master Torgo. Eighties Jeff. Final warning, K. <laughs> Maple Leaf Matt <laughs> Three in a row, Professor Biggs <laughs> And we're here to talk Week and Geek Yes, uh, you're, you're near a permanent host At this point, Steve <laughs> Yeah, I mean And I gotta say Last week when Barry and Deb were here And we had we had, had Mrs. Paul. Maple Leaf And uh, and, the ama- and the famous Paul All together last week uh, that was, uh, that was, and we did get our Michael Caine off. Uh, that was, uh, that well, kind of until the cord got shoot, shoot off. <laughs> well, yeah. It was started hey, anyway. Hey, uh, you, don't you, should, you talk about the mascot that way. You know what, Steve, you should be careful how you say that. You said you got your Michael Caine off as opposed to a, <laughs> we had a no Michael judgment. Caine off. No judgment. <laughs> um, whatever you're into, man. Yeah. So, oh no. I got Michael Caine off. It was quite nice. Uh, we, I mean, we had everything but Mumra. So, so I have to say, so that episode 600 more than made up for episode 599. <laughs> episode 599 had some issues. It did. Had, had some non-technical issues. A few speed bumps. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what are you guys talking about? I don't recall any problem. <laughs> yeah, neither do I. That, that is probably the problem. See, the problem is when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, when somebody casts Fireball, it affects the whole room. (laughs) Oh, have you been saving that all week? Actually, no, it just came (laughs) (laughs) two weeks. 
<laughs> was it at you, Kirsten? It was talking about like that you had the game and they were in a very small space and they said, I want to cast Fireball. And you're like, are you sure? And they said yes anyway. And you said they killed the whole, the whole yeah. crew. Total party kill. I, th- I think that's happened to a lot of Dungeon Masters, frankly. I- I'm sure, but I just I thought I remembered it was Kay telling us on a past episode. No, no, I'm talking about Blackout Drunk, but that's... <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that goes without saying. It's like, um, so what happened last week? I don't remember. Me either. Did we take any notes? No. Yeah. My wow. PCs drive daddy to drink. Uh, I, I will say that the the possibly only good thing that came out of it has been all of Pat Spurl's uh, creativity uh, over I got to hand it to Pat Spurl. He was all over that episode, whether it was <laughs> your your antics or <laughs> Jeff's amazing Cleveland impression. Oh, God. Mm. It, it's a, a Pat. Thank you for all of your awesome hard work. It was so much fun to, to watch and listen I- to. I was actually quite surprised by the uh, the amount of positive responses to the Cleveland thing. Stop I didn't... it. Stop no, it. No, I'm right dead now. serious. I am de- being I'm dead so serious. I'm so surprised that my amazing impression was well received. I don't particularly <laughs> think it was an amazing impression, but I'm glad that everybody liked it. Because I, I went through and listened to the episode, and I was like, okay, yeah, this this should have been a, you know, a practice. But since it was a cold read, you know, I was like, whatever. Yeah, but... It's always a cold read. That's the rules. I know, I know. <laughs> but yes, I I don't think it was particularly good, but I'm glad that other people think so. Uh, amazing. But See, we're, yes. we're, we're attempting to get bad impressions out of you, and no, you you get you hit a home run. So I got to give. <laughs> I've only hit prop. two home runs at how many at bats? <laughs> You've had four at bats. <laughs> what what's what's two? So you got Cleveland. What else? Because it's not Michael Caine. <laughs> oh, oh wow! No! Wow! <laughs> I don't think you know what you're talking about. <laughs> Steve? I'm just saying, some men just want to watch the world burn. Wow. Uh, the Geek Shock Book Club is reading Sweet Tooth by Jeff Lemire. It's been an interesting read. I haven't finished it just yet. I've kind of been reading it alongside watching the Netflix show that's based off of it. What a juxtaposition, I gotta say. It's a fine example of completely changing the tone of a source material and making it work. It's so rare because when the, when they did preacher on AMC, they, they didn't get this story exactly right. They couldn't, no one could really tell the preacher story as it is, uh, but they nailed the tone. It's like, okay, we're there. And it's kind of like with the boys, you know, they're doing their own thing with some of the boys, but they're nailing the tone. Sweet tooth completely changes the tone and still makes it work really well. You're so I'm reading one dark, sad, apocalyptic story. The original comic book is, is kind of depressing in, in a way of reading it. And I'm watching this beautiful, optimistic fairy tale and it's the same story. It's a really impressive Thing to see so that's what the geek shock book club is reading and uh so you can there's a show out there based on it you can watch along but be aware if you're watching the show you are not reading the comic story at all <laughs> some of the beats are the same but it is not the same uh so gentlemen what geeky things did you do this week matt we haven't heard from you in a while what'd you do nothing 
Don't fuck with me, donut. What what are you what are you donuts? <laughs> wow. Call me a donut. Timbits? <laughs> That's right. Our donut holes. Sorry, you're in America? Donut holes. <laughs> but, right. um, Matt the donut. So let's hole. see. <laughs> oh, he muted his mic. He's he is in protest mode. Oh. Let me ask you this then, Matt. Uh, last week we talked about uh, the new rules that Games Workshop implemented saying that no fan animations are allowed to happen anymore. You have to buy a license from Games Workshop. You can do fan art. You can do fan stories as long as you indicate that they are that. But no animations whatsoever. Not allowed. What's your thoughts? I thought it was animations for profit. No. It's no animations, period. Okay, because I thought it for profit, so I was like, okay, I can understand, but no animations, period. Yeah. Fuck him. Selling my army. Selling... No, sorry. <laughs> I, you know my, you know my stance. It's, it's an evil company. I hate Games Workshop. I'm so upset that they make a game I love. Just the way it is. They want to... I don't know why they're doing this. They're, they're doing it because they're streaming service. The only shows they have are animated shows. Well, people are still like all the Games Workshop people that are fans of that company are going to buy this streaming service anyways. Most of them, anyways. So really, it's almost like they're—I don't know what they're doing. It's typical corporate short-sightedness because yeah, fan animations are will get people interested in. Oh, I'd like to see. Wait, they have a streaming service with a whole bunch of stuff, and it might be you know a lawyer stepping in some kind of ip thing because uh, i think by now i mean now granted this is a a qualified statement but i think by now everybody knows that exposure on the internet is actually generally going to be a good thing it, it can only benefit them to actually have people doing fan animations i wonder if they they I don't know if you um, follow any of that fan animation stuff, Kirsten. Todd, uh, Astartes on YouTube. They hired the guy that made that. So then what's the issue? I honestly think, and again, this is just my opinion. I honestly think that the stuff that the fans are putting together has been better than the stuff that Games Workshop have put out in the past. I will agree. And, and I don't think they want that comparison. I, I think they are afraid that the fan stuff is going to be better than the stuff they create themselves. That's probably the best reason why to do that. Because they don't want to hear the Necron series on the streaming service was all right, but the YouTube stuff is better. I think that's the last thing they want to hear. <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if we're starting to get to that age because the amount of tools that the, uh, the home video as well as uh, animation producer has in many ways, are just as good as the tools Hollywood has nowadays. So I, I'm starting to wonder when we're going to get to that breaking point. Because I still remember I had just graduated film school, and um, I was doing my exit stuff, uh, and one of my professors showed me the first digital camera that they had, and it had just as good as, if not slightly better resolution than the 16 millimeter film that, well, actually more of the eight millimeter film that we had been shooting off of. And it had a lot more flexibility. So I, I don't know. I mean, some of the fan made stuff is far superior to some of the stuff that I see, especially the straight to video stuff. 
that had been uh, pretty lackluster for a number of years out of the different studios. Yeah. You know, you've talked about it on the show before. If you look at, you know, the guy that did the did the deep fake of Mark yep. Hamill. Yep. And and then, you know, thankfully, somebody smart at Lucasfilm was like, well, shoot, we need to have that guy in our in our in our camp if he can do it that well. You know, so I will. Yeah. I mean, uh, I will also put the caveat on it that some of these fan productions have more time to do this stuff because <laughs> I have seen a lot of complaints from a lot of professional animators that talk about the crunch that goes on with the filmmaking process. Uh, you know, they thought they had X number of weeks and then suddenly the studio ups their deadlines. Like, so they now have to compress like three months work into like two or three weeks or they'll use, um, they'll use a, a previs version of right. their CG that they said was just a previs. It wasn't the finalized version. And then they're horrified when they'll see that like in a trailer. And it's like, oh my God, that was not the finished product. Why did or, they use that? Or like in a finished movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, some of the Cavill mustache stuff yep. in Justice League was not the final product. And uh, some of the CG animators that worked on that were horrified. They're like, yeah. oh my God, I can't believe they used that pass. That wasn't even the final pass. Yeah. What did they do with the final that we gave them? So the moral of the story is studio's bad. All right. <laughs> um, yes and no. Well, on most cases. Jeff, what did you do this week? Uh, Wait, before we no. move, move on from, from Matt. Oh, okay. Matt, you did do a geeky thing this week. Oh, what'd you do? What, what did he do that he's not telling us? Played in Kirsten's uh, D&D game. Oh, oh, little old Kirsten's D&D game. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> see that's why daddy drinks <laughs> so we took like six hours creating a character though <laughs> so... was that going deep is that what you're doing just really just digging deep to find out the core of who this person is i don't know but it just took forever <laughs> it really was six hours it's not something like that yeah it was a but, long uh, time yeah i'm actually going to make an artificer bigs for my next game i play so because yeah. i was interested in that that the class he made so that was fun because uh lewis had not cracked open his tasha's cauldron of everything so he didn't know what the artificer could do so <laughs> we start playing the game and steve's like okay so for my extra attack i'm gonna blow it and lewis is like you can't do that and steve's like no no i, I can and he's like wait a minute what do you mean and then Lewis is like going through his book, like, what the hell's going on? And he's just like stunned at all the things Steve's artificer can do. Steve's like, oh, okay, now I'm going to do this. And Lewis is like, you can do that? And then he picks up his book again and he's like, holy crap. D&D is, is not really my jam. I had the book with like, with like post-it notes in there. And I was like, yeah, it's on page 19. Yeah. <laughs> And Lewis is just like, what the hell? Yeah. Lewis was mystified most of the time. And then uh, Matt did a multi-class. And yeah, Barbarian, Barbarian Druid. And Barbarian my wife Druid. was not happy that I was multi-classing for some reason. My <laughs> God, dude, it was so awesome. She's just staring at him like, huh? So you're going to be a third-level third barbarian. barbarian and a third-level Druid. <laughs> Are you starting with six level characters? Is that what you're yeah. doing? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're doing one shots. We're not doing okay. campaigns. 
So it's just and 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 it was just so funny because she was just so let me get this straight. <laughs> she actually said that. <laughs> Theme wise, it makes sense to me. A barbarian druid. I can definitely oh, see that. Dude, uh, yeah, I, I, I charge in and fr- uh, rage. Yeah. And then be a bear. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah that was the whole point. So, that was my to whole a bear and rage. So well, boy, so Matt... oh boy, she <laughs> How how did you channel that rage, Matt? Do you have some experience with that? <laughs> I don't know what everyone thinks like I'm a ragey person or something, but I don't know where this is coming from, Jeff. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> She's attacking my personal character that way. I'm not ragey. So Jeff, what did you do this week? I watched the second episode of What If, the the Chadwick Boseman final MCU appearance. Um, uh, you know, the What If uh, Star Lord was actually T'Challa. That was a really fun episode. I really enjoyed the hell out of that. Very impressed. Absolutely. I was not going into that. I was just like, why bother? Okay, yeah. whatever. Yeah, that, that, that completely caught me off guard. I, it just, it was so well done. And... Some of the surprise voices that uh, voice actors they got for that episode that were not previously announced really amazed me that they got the majority of the cast to play their characters. That was really uh, that was something. Jimon uh, Hansu. Yeah. And he was funny. Oh, oh my yeah. god, he was hilarious. Yeah. <clears throat> Very funny. I just I, I I had such a good time with that episode. Um it's definitely worth the, was it 40 minutes? Well, it's like 36 with the credits or whatever, but it's it's so worth your time. If you haven't started watching the What If series, the first two episodes just really have hit it out of the park. I mean, you know, Captain Carter last week and T'Challa as Star-Lord this week. I'm I'm really interested to see where they go with the rest of the series. The other big thing I did was I went and saw Free Guy mm-hmm. yesterday. And wow, is that such a great film. I, I literally can't say enough good things about it. Pre-show, uh, Dr. Dr. Professor Biggs there. <laughs> uh, Professor Biggs and I were, were talking about how uh, Movie Bob had a really great review on it. It is a spoilery, somewhat, it's not completely spoiler-free review, but uh, if you have seen the film already, definitely check it out. But I totally agree with everything he said in that. It it was marketed as one thing, and it's so much more than that. And I don't know how they managed to get all of the stuff in this film that they did, but it's a damned impressive job. It's a fun movie. It's a heartfelt movie. It's uplifting. I, I mean, it's really kind of made its way to my number one slot for movies I've seen this year. And that's saying a lot. Uh, I hesitate to go too much into detail why it's such a great movie because there's a lot of little surprises and Easter eggs and so forth that that really make it so. But definitely go check out that movie if you have uh, have a chance and go into it without the expectations that what you're seeing or what you're about to see is what you've already seen in the trailer because. Good Lord, the marketing company that marketed this did a great job of not putting the best scenes of the movie in the trailer. Nice. Because that happens so often, it's it's so lets me down when I go see the film. And it's like, oh, I've already seen that in the trailer. I've already seen that in the trailer. 
this was a movie that I went in and I'm like, wow, the best things in this movie were not in any of the trailers or in the, the little clips that happened on a lot of the, uh, the talk shows and stuff. So there, uh, there is the third trailer uh, has a big reveal that I really kind of wish they'd saved for okay. the, the movie, but I haven't seen the third one. So, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, that's that's a good general rule overall. If you're interested in trailers and don't want to be spoiled, teaser trailers are great. Yes. <laughs> First trailers are usually decent, but yes. don't go any further than that. Uh, After that, it gets awful. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of my own personal rule. I, if it's a movie I really want to see, I definitely don't watch the second or final trailer. Um, like they, they just released the second trailer for The Eternals this week. Yeah. I refuse yeah. to watch it. Yeah, me too. I've I've intentionally skipped it. Like it keeps popping up in my YouTube suggestions <laughs> and I'm like, nope, nope, I don't want to see this, but I don't want to thumbs down it because I don't want it to ruin my other things that I like suggestions wise. But, uh, but yeah, definitely go see free guy. Absolutely. Can't re- recommend it enough. Steve, what did you do this week? I'm cat sitting here in Vegas for like a week. And so there, there's been a lot of times when I've just been kind of sitting around uh, the ex-wife's condo. I don't know why I got in the mood for it, but it came up in her uh, Netflix queue of uh, Lucifer. And everyone's been talking about, you know, that show. And I was like, you know. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I'll just give it a shot. And I'm I'm almost through the first season. And yeah, the first season's a little, what if Castle were a vamp or a, the devil? <laughs> yeah but um but it's fun and they did weave in a, a season long kind of arc through the through the story and and i was like i'm more interested in that than in the you know solve the crime of the week uh, aspect of it from what i've heard in the going forward in the second season going forward uh they do concentrate a lot more on that aspect of the show than the you know, than the solve the crime of the week kind of thing. But uh, the cast is, is fun, uh, you know, and like I say, that, that background aspect of the show is really pretty fun. The, they, the, they bring in, they bring in some good uh, characters from the Bible. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that. So I know apparently God makes, makes an appearance and uh, you know, it's the uh, all state guy, <laughs> former, former president of the United States on uh, 24. <laughs> Well, <laughs> what does God need with a starship? Yeah, that's that's when you know something's jumped a shock when they bring in God. <laughs> <laughs> well, well here, here's the real big question I have about that series. It started have the license for the Vertigo comic when they yes. started making it. Is there anything a part of it that I don't know if you read the Lucifer series. I I read the first few issues, and that's another one I've been meaning to go back to because I know it's all been collected. Um, is is there anything that's a part of that that they used in this? The only thing that they really kept was Lucifer Lucifer's quit hell aspect of it, and kind of the ramifications of of all of that, and that's what's being played out in the. And like I say, this overarching story that they tease, you know, like a bit of it every episode. I am so confused. I, only in the aspect that, that that I understand, you know, 
they got the rights to use Lucifer and then made this show based on the way they decided to structure it. Yeah. However, that part of it is just so generic devil that why, why even waste the money on buying that? (laughs) You don't need that for what they created. Right. Right. I'm, I'm guessing it's because they, um, you know, it's Warner brothers, Warner brothers owns DC slash vertigo. Uh, they were hoping to bring in the people that were fans of that particular IP. (laughs) And I will say in either the 10th or 11th episode, I think it's the 11th episode, the the murdered guy his name is Mike Carey and, oh, and it's Luc- yeah and it's Lucifer dealing with a, uh, a a cult of Satan Satan worshipers and he just comes in and starts saying this is all wrong none of this is right and like he, and he comes to the door of the place and he goes I'm Lucifer Morningstar and the guy at the door goes aren't you supposed to be blonde nice uh, yeah <laughs> He goes, yeah, so, they so, all so say that. Easter egg jokes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like I say, I think the writing's there. And it, again, from everything I've heard from the second season onward, they do it start gets, paying, It gets better, yeah. Yeah, they do start paying more attention to the mythology more than the cop aspect of it. They do, yeah. So, so that's probably <clears throat> where the original comic book starts to, you know, make its way more into the into the TV series. There are some running jokes in the first season. I'm like, yeah, you just did that same joke last episode and the episode before that. It's like anytime somebody says, oh, God, and he goes, God has, doesn't care, right? He always makes those kind of jokes in the first season. I'm like, okay, this is the 12th time <laughs> that we've done that joke, and you know, we get it. Lucifer doesn't like it when people say, you know, call upon God. He goes, hey, God does not care about this. So, yeah, we get it. But again, it's episodic television because I think Lucifer came kind of, it started in 2016 and that was kind of in the middle of when networks were, you know, moving to more serialized dramas, but they still wanted, they wanted to have their episodic cake and eat their serialized dramas at the same time. So, yeah. Cake and cereal. Cake and cereal. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) The X-Files maneuver. Yeah, basically. But I'm, you know, like I say, the cast is good. Uh, Tom Ellis is, you know, really charming. And and there's been a few t- times when I'm like, well, how far are they going to drag? The- okay, oh, good. They're ending it. Okay, good. Because that joke is also kind of played out. And how long are they going to string this? Oh, okay. And so they, right when I'm starting to get bored with some aspects of it, they do stop it. They, they kind of stop dealing with the, you know, uh, how long are we going to, oh. Okay, we're ending that particular joke. All right, good. Because that has worn out its welcome. <laughs> oh, there's a thing with his therapist that I was like, are we really going to do this every ep- Oh, okay. Oh, we're not. Okay, good. They're keeping the part of this that I like, and they're throwing away the part that's like, yeah, that was funny the first five times. <laughs> now, doesn't Tom Welling uh, join the cast in uh, one of the later seasons? Or He does. I- yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and Dennis Haysbert is the actor that, that plays God. He's the one that was the oh nice the the black president of the United States in twenty four, and he's the all state all state guy. So. <laughs> Same thing. My brain, Steve. I don't know why, but I didn't hear all state. 
I heard farmers. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. I'm like, why doesn't he just say J.K. Simmons? I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis Haysbert will always be uh, major league to me uh, when he played, uh, oh, damn it, uh, uh, Serrano, uh, Pedro, Pedro Serrano. Serrano. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, God, uh, my brain uh, stopped working for a second there. <laughs> it's been a while since I talked about some games on the show, so I'm going to talk about some games. Uh, two really interesting ones. First one is called Super Epic The Entertainment War, and it's an interesting send up of the mobile games industry wrapped up in a pixelated metroidvania style game so if you like metroid if you like castlevania especially the later castlevanias where you don't you you progress further as you get more abilities it's that style of game but the whole idea of the game is you are a raccoon freedom fighter riding on a llama that has <laughs> infiltrated a game company that has taken over the world that's run by various sorts of animals but that game company only makes mobile games and has taken all the things that we hate about mobile games whether it's microtransactions or busy work or pay to win or collecting your information have taken that onto a large criminal level and took over the world with it so everybody in the world is addicted to their games and they just run the world based on those tropes so you're going in trying to take this company down metroid style what's really interesting in it is the game will occasionally throw up a qr code on the screen when you interact with some of the stuff in in the game company and it takes you to a mobile game to play on your device whether a phone or pad. And it is a game in the style of very famous mobile games like Flappy Bird, Crossy Road, uh, the Temple Run style games, ones that really took over the zeitgeist in mobile games over the last 10 years. And you have to play that game to advance past certain locked doors. And every one of those games is an example of the awful tropes of the, some of these mobile games. So it's a really interesting meta narrative overall. Now, it's a goofy story overall. It knows what it is. But if you like Metroid-style games, it's a lot of fun. And yeah. having that aspect of having to play these mobile games, and thankfully they're not very long, and they're not overly hard in some of those styles, but enough to give you the example of, okay, you're now playing this company's game, and now you know why they need to be taken out. Mm -hmm. So it, it's been an interesting game. If you, It's always on sale at some point. I've seen it on sale, sale for the PlayStation. Uh, I, I've seen it as low for like $1.97 on the Nintendo Switch. At those prices, it's definitely worth the eight hours or so of gameplay that you'll get out of it. Uh, the other game is the one that my has made my wrist hurt now mm. because I, I just want to play it forever. It's only been on the Nintendo Switch up till uh, this last week, and then it finally got released to Xbox and PlayStation, and that's a game called Hades. Hades <laughs> is a, a roguelite, if you will, a game where... You are playing through the game. Uh, you're not going to make it all the way through on your first play, 
but you're going to gather some things along the way that's going to increase your character to make him that much stronger so that when you go back in, you will get a little further and the game randomizes every time you go in. So it's not the same dungeon every time. The story is based in Greek mythology where you are the son of Hades trying to escape uh, Hades itself in rebellion against your father. And I don't want to go further into the plots because I don't want to spoil details because this roguelite actually has an interesting story and interesting character interactions that are worthwhile to listen to and follow. That's rare. I, when it comes to those roguelite games, story is fourth in line of, of importance. Here, they put it a little forefront. Not so much that you would hate it, Kay. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and the play <laughs> style is very much in the vein of Diablo with a lot more action-heavy elements and not so much on the loot. Art direction is, is a beautiful cell-shading style that flows beautifully and is wonderful to look at. And... The first time I could say this in a long time, the soundtrack is something to be listened to. I really enjoyed the whole experience of it. And it's one of those things that when you once you've done a run, and the runs in this, can, the last one I did lasted over an hour, I was ready to keep playing and run it again just to increase my character a little bit in some way or change the dungeon in this way to make it so I could go that much farther every time I played. Hades. If you, you like rogue lights, find it. How do you play it, Todd? Where do you? What platform? Is All it on the, at this point. It started on the Switch, uh, and now it's on the Xbox and PlayStation Four and Five. In fact, if you have Xbox Play Pass, uh, it was on there day one. And this is through OnlyFans. Yes, this is through OnlyFans because well, no one's going there for porn anymore. Right. Well, you said your wrist hurt, so I was like, "Thank you." Thank wow. You. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. I'll, somewhere, somewhere, Andy is feeling warm and fuzzy. <laughs> right. Right. Here, I thought the low fruit was easily passed by. Someone was going to just just let me go on, but no, that's all right. No. And don't think that I didn't miss your whack off uh, uh, pantomime there, Kay, when I said it either. What? So. Uh-huh. what? He only saw you do it. <laughs> what? I was doing it too. You, you give us far too much credit, Todd. Wow, Todd. <laughs> just refer to stuff going on the video screen. Sure. <laughs> so, two great games. If you can find it, especially on sale, don't don't pass it up. Well, I might actually get, pick up that game because I do miss Diablo, and I will never play it. Diablo ever again because it's Blizzard. So, right. Yeah. And again, uh, it's not like Diablo in the fact that it's, it's a looter game. You're not yeah. going to be. It's it's a roguelite. It's an action game through and through. Uh, but a lot of fun. It just has that Diablo isometric style, and the fights kind of work out the same way. And I've been rewatching up to a point because I only got to a certain point. Doctor Who, uh, mm, and wow. I've and I've been poking at it a little bit throughout the pandemic and now i've kind of gotten back on it in a, in a big way i think i've figured out how to introduce people to doctor who if you're a doctor who fan and you want somebody you know that you want to enjoy that with them i'm going to tell you right now don't start from the beginning that's not how you introduce doctor who and when i say the beginning i'm talking eccleson you know i'm, oh, I'm saying okay. i'm saying when they rebooted doctor who at, with the ninth doctor 
That is fine, and it's good. Don't get me wrong. Those are great episodes, but that is not how you introduce somebody to Doctor Who. What you Doctor Who, in my opinion, is more like the Twilight Zone than anything else out there. It's it's a more po- uh, positive, ecstatic Twilight Zone with reoccurring characters in every episode. Oh, especially because, the uh, '60s and '70s versions. Uh, I'm, I'll just go with the modern versions because the stories that they're telling in this are so different and cover so many different genres that if you're going to introduce someone to Doctor Who, find the genre that that person likes and find the matching great episodes that go with it. For example, my wife is a big horror fan. She likes sci-fi and fantasy and so on, but she really gravitates toward horror. So when I got to Blink, I stopped and say, I want you to watch this next episode with me. It's called Blink. Blink is amazing. Uh, uh, Is that the Angels one? Yes, yeah. okay, Blink yeah. is one of the best episodes yeah. ever made, and it is a very horror-centric episode. And it has one of my favorite monsters, of course. The angels are fantastic. So she sat down and watched with me and just became an instant fan of that show. And now she's like, I want to watch a lot more of these. And, and I said, no, they cover many genres. Some are funny, some are historic, some are time travel, some are hard science fiction. She's just like, I don't care. I, I just want to see more. I, and there are so many really good one-off episodes mm-hmm. because they tend to be standalone shows. He, he yeah. travels, and there, and there is, of course, a overall arc of story, but the overall arc of story is kind of secondary to the stories they're telling each episode. Find that episode, find the genre, show them that one, and if they cow to that they'll be open to other episodes, I think, overall. I think if you start, say, let's, you know, I want to introduce you to Doctor Who, and you just start with Eccleston, just from the because it's from the beginning of the the new series, uh, I think you'll find some people will drop off because they're so varied of how they are that if they already don't know Doctor Who and what it kind of is, uh, they might not uh, ken to it. But if you find the genre and fine tune it, I think they'll be much more receptive. Uh, that's that's a great way to get uh, somebody interested, Todd. Yeah, I, I agree with you because. That is the one beauty of that show is that they can do all those different genres and make it work in the overall theme of the show. Mm-hmm. And and much like Star Trek, there's yeah. some episodes that are, are just okay, uh, but there are some episodes that will absolutely tear you up. Oh, they, yeah. They're so incredibly written. So find the gems, show them some of the gems. And they might be more say, yeah, okay, let's start it back from the beginning and watch it all. There are definitely some episodes that will make you laugh with joy. There's episodes that will make you ball like a small child. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it runs you all over the place emotionally. And sometimes in the same episode, if you're not ready for that, it'll hit you hard. So, yeah, your, your, uh, your mode, I think, works really well, Todd. And if you are have not seen Doctor Who and you've been interested, not knowing really where to start, if you are a horror fan, I think it's season three of, of the new series, episode 10. It's called Blink. Find it. It's an amazing piece of not only horror, but amazing time travel science fiction as well. I think the David Tennant series, the David Tennant run is probably the easiest to introduce somebody to the new Who generation. Because um, 
Matt Smith years and then, of course, the um, Peter Capaldi years evolve out of that. Mm-hmm. So I definitely wouldn't start with Capaldi because people could easily get turned off by the, the grumpy nature of his doctor, mm-hmm. especially because you don't understand why he's that way. And you wouldn't get why his doctor is that way if you hadn't seen the transition from Eccleston to Tennant to Smith and then to Capaldi. So, but yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting premise. I like it, Todd. Yeah. Kirsten, what'd you do this week? I did a bunch of things. Uh, first thing I want to get out of the way is I went to the comic book store, and I just want to mention that because because I got something Todd's going to find absolutely delectable. What? Get out of here with that. He is holding up a Gloomhaven comic book. Oh, do oh, tell, oh, do tell, oh, do tell. Yeah, it's um, Gloomhaven, A Hole in the Wall, and it's a one-shot just uh, for free comic book day. Nice. Wow. So, um, I, I want to read that when you're done with the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll, you're just going to have to read your own. Damn it. Because I got you one. Oh, okay, yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ralph was like, guys, it, uh, I didn't go on comic book day. So we went in there, and the table was laid out with stuff, and he was just like, take what you want, however much you want, and share it with your friends, blah, blah, blah. So I took the last two Gloomhaven after Steve showed it to me. A uh, side note for the, the Starman, James Robinson's Starman run. Omnibus came out. Oh. And that thing is like a bullet stopper. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You could you could make a suit of armor for the zombie apocalypse out of this thing because they wow. put it all in one telephone book. And what's the cost? Sixty bucks. That's amazing. Well, that's not bad it's at all. Actually yeah. not bad. No. No. It and <laughs> I definitely would recommend that to anybody. Robinson now is uh, he's actually working in Hollywood. He lives here in Vegas. He shops at Ralph's. But that Starman run was just wonderful. Yeah. It was just wonderful. And boy, does it go back a ways. So just to feel old. <laughs> um, so I got my second issue of Knock in the mail. Knock is an OSR RPG is it, is it knock, like knock on the wall, knock on the door, that kind of knock? It's like the spell knock that opens up locks, yes. Basically, it's like a zine, uh, kind of thick, though, of uh, various old-school Renaissance D&D bloggers putting in articles and stuff like that, talking about uh, the old way to, to do D&D, but it, it, it's chock full of stuff to, to uh, use. So uh, something like uh, Thief Knacks, which would be rules for making a thief in the old school system, which is very rules light. Or uh, different types of monsters drawn from different types of folklore. Or like Sorcerer, I may use this someday, uh, Matt. Sorcerer Corpse Hazards, which, which is a table of you've killed the evil sorcerer. And this is what happens when you search the body. Just a random table of stuff that can happen. Okay, cool. The artwork is uh, very cool. It's very, uh, very interesting. Really out there. Really, these guys really like to delve into the Lovecraftian 
roots of D&D, and I definitely recommend it if you like anything kind of creative about, uh, it's not just about D&D, but any kind of creative about games or about, you know, sword and sorcery fantasy. It's called Knock, K-N-O-C-K, exclamation point, and it's by the Mary Mushman. M-U-S-H-M-E-N, The Merry Mushman. Steve and I watched uh, the latest episode of uh, Lower Decks. Nice. Which was hysterical. That one just had so many damn Easter eggs in it. It was like April came all over again. It was just amazing. Really, really enjoyed it. And it had, like, everybody there. Jonathan Frakes was there. That show makes me want to pick up Peacock. Yeah. Oh, no. So, Paramount Plus? Sorry, Paramount that's what Plus. I meant. There's yeah. so many streaming services now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I meant Paramount Plus, yeah. It's worth it. It's worth it um, because I I definitely... I, I I would keep Paramount Plus just for Lower Decks. It's yeah. a good it's a good series. They're they're kind of actually hitting the the older school idea of Trek, even while they're being an out and out comedy. And boy, do they have uh, an affection for? Everybody. I mean, there were Easter eggs from the animated series in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Guys, it's fucking insane. It's just insane, and it's wonderfully done. And the the performances are great. I, I just I can't say enough about that. Jeff mentioned the what if. Uh, I was I mean Star Lord. I'm I love what Chris Pratt did, but in terms of the comic, I couldn't give two two bits, and so I was just like eh, T'Challa, Star Lord, whatever, you know. And I was like, we'll watch it, but whatever. But it was great it was yeah. a great episode watch that episode of what if and a lovely little tender tip of the hat to chadwick boseman there at the end and absolutely and and funny and they got everybody guys you're going to be astounded at who they got to do their voices well it, they replaced tony drax. stark drax and um uh doctor strange those aren't actual the actual voice actors right and and a couple of those are not in that one. So that just lets you know who did show up. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah, it's it's interesting cuz I I'm I'm hearing from well, I, the actors themselves are posting online about how they weren't even asked to appear as their character even if it's like a small part in an episode. Uh so in some cases they bring back the actual actor and in some cases they they do a sound alike, so it's like, yeah. okay, I, you know, what's going on here? Is this just Disney realizing yeah. how much the thing was going to cost at the end, and then deciding, well, uh, rather than ask this person and you know potentially have to make a you know big payday for them, you know, do we just cast somebody cheap? I, I don't know what's going on with that because, yeah, just like you said in this episode, there's a lot of the yeah. Marvel Cinematic actors in this and then one or two that are recast so mm -hmm. yeah yeah kind of weird it may simply just be a question of scheduling it could know. be that too but again some of these actors are saying they weren't even asked um, so whether whether they just weren't directly asked or their agent were asked and the agent turned it down on their behalf and and they weren't told i don't know because things like that do happen in hollywood right. as well but who knows yeah i rewatched 
Hell, uh, uh, Legend of Hell House um, <laughs> for the first time uh, since I saw it as a kid. And it was really funny because that was one of those that I didn't know if I could watch again because it really, really rattled me as a kid. But I was able to watch it. And it was really funny because watching it, I could understand a lot of what bothered me about it as a kid. I think a lot of that movie, a lot of the, you know, it's a sort of a haunted house type of story, albeit a little more violent than uh, than than of the 70s or before then. But a lot of the encounters take place in the bedroom. And I think that's what really bothered me as a kid, because the sake the sanctum of the bedroom wasn't even safe. And that really got to me. I was actually pleasantly surprised by Roddy McDowell's performance. I knew he was in it, but I actually, you know, didn't realize as a kid it was actually a pretty good performance. Boy, did I misremember a lot because <laughs> there were characters who died that I was like, that character died? And there were characters who lived that I was like, I thought that character was dead at the end. And <laughs> so... But it was it was an interesting experience. I'm glad Steve brought that into town because it, I hadn't watched that in a long time. Well, I'm glad Steve was there to help protect you from it. Oh, yes. <laughs> it was funny because for an hour or two when I went to bed, I was a little disturbed. I, uh, I actually got past that really quick and then that was fine. I so. missed I missed that. I, I want to be disturbed by horror films, but I'm so jaded by watching so many of them over the decades that I, they they don't affect me anymore. And I, I wish they still did. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm kind of thankful that, <laughs> when th that they don't because it uh, those were decades of uh, of sleepless nights that I didn't really need to, <laughs> to have yeah. when I was when when I saw that in the theaters, I forget what my parents were doing, but they basically left me at the movie theater, and that oh movie my. came out. In, <laughs> yeah, and that movie that movie came out in '73, so I was 15, 14 or 15, something like that. And they were gone long enough that I actually sat through it twice. Oh and wow! Needless to say, even at the ripe old age of what, however old I was, 14 or 15. I had nightmares for for a good couple of days, if not a recurring one that would pop up every now and then when I would remember the movie, uh, you know, for weeks afterwards. And to the point where I was like, that movie scared me more than The Exorcist did. So I think The Exorcist freaked, freaked my dad out more than it did me. I was just like, oh, I wonder how they did the pea green soup. Oh, I wonder how they did the turnaround head thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was thankful Steve brought that and Steve was thankful that I had Podorovsky's Dune. Oh yeah. And oh, we uh, we watched that. The most influential movie never made. Crazy that. What an amazing documentary. What an amazing story. Yeah. Absolutely have, just amazing. Have you guys seen that? I haven't. Yes. I have not. I should though cuz Yes. Yeah. It's a documentary about the Dune movie that was supposed to be made in the late 70s that really got a far in production as far as development, but never got made. Yeah, and very far in the fundraising, too. And they just couldn't get it over that last $5 million. And as amazing as that pre-production stuff was, I'm kind of glad they never made that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I said. I, I said, 
you know, I got to admire the guy's passion and, and, you know, his, his, you know, idea for it, but that would have been just, just as freaky, if not more so than Lynch's version. And I, I like sh- Lynch's version, but that's just me. Well, I, <laughs> I, I, I love Lynch's my... version too, but it definitely has its issues. Yeah. Well, that's one of the funny bits in the, uh, the documentary, Matt, because Podorowski is, is talking. He's like, you know, I I was really upset that he making the movie. And it's like, David Lynch, if anyone but me going to make this movie, it's going to be David Lynch. I admire him. It's so wonderful. And, and he's just like, you know, so I go to see it and I'm just like, really? I just I'm so I'm so upset. I'm, I don't know. I'm ready to cry. <laughs> and I start watching it. And then I watch it, and then I watch it, and then I feel good because it's awful. (laughs) 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 It's a failure. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) It was so funny. But man, oh, Manischewitz, Jeff, Matt, when you watch it, the inspiration that this movie that did not get made had on late 70s, early 80s science fiction is profound, right? Uh, he, Hodorowski is the guy who brings together Moebius, Giger, Chris Foss, uh, Dan O'Bannon. And, you know, Bannon, Giger, they go on to do Alien. And right. then Moebius has his uh, influence on, like, Blade Runner and Flash Gordon. And Flash Gordon, there's um, oh, uh. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, dude, it's amazing. What what one of the coolest bits of this story is uh, when Hodorowski he finds Moebius and he's the 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 comic book artist, a, a famous French comic book artist of the seventies and eighties, and he's like, I want you for my storyboards and for design, and so. Moebius does his storyboards and they do a shot by shot, 3000 like uh, pencil drawings of the storyboards. They get all of their pre-production art from Chris Foss doing uh, spaceships and stuff. And of course, Harkonnen imagery by um, Giger. And they they have the paintings and they put it in a book. They call it the Dune book, and their pre-production book is what they sent to all of the studios to pitch the movie. Oh, wow. So so there's like this big-ass book, which they say in the documentary, at the time it was made, there are only two left in existence. But this big-ass book that basically is the movie of Dune. Uh, the, The director of Baby Driver talks about he was hanging out with Hodorowski and he actually he actually uh, showed him the book and he took it through it page by page. And he's like, so I'm I'm just about the only person who's actually seen this movie that's never been made. <laughs> but that wow. book has imagery from Giger that you would recognize because yeah. of Alien. Right. It has imagery from Moebius and Chris Foss that you're going to recognize in other science fiction things you can see influences that will come to pass in uh, blade runner it, it's just extraordinary 
and they make they make a very compelling case of just how much influence this movie had on a lot of science fiction design despite the fact that it never got made yeah well and and again if, if you, when you consider that that book and it is i want that book i i think yes. i think that there is a market out there in geek culture they in particular should. that they would should. love to see a nicely bound version of that because besides all the imagery besides all the storyboards there's all these production notes about here's how we would do this special effect here's how we would do this special effect and so every studio basically was like yeah we see exactly how you would do this we would love to make this movie but not with this director yeah (laughs) and so if those books are floating around in hollywood you know that every time they had a sci-fi project come in they were like well look at this can we do something like this and and you do. You see the fingerprints of it all over every late 70s, early 80s sci-fi. Yeah, it's amazing. It's extraordinary. It's a very fascinating uh, documentary. Hodorowsky is is very compelling in his uh, in his in the interview being you know being spoken to. It's it it is it is wonderful. So uh, I definitely recommend it. Uh, especially you, Jeff. You're 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 gonna watch that, and your eyes are gonna just pop right out of your fucking head. Because <laughs> there's a lot of film history there that is is in the making, and and that you will be able to see. Oh my God, this is where that all started. Mm-hmm. And I'm where sorry? is that available? Uh, my Blu-ray. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is out there somewhere, but I did buy it on Blu-ray. I actually got okay. it a long time ago. I hadn't even cracked it open yet. So, yeah, I think I saw it initially on Amazon Prime and it was available with Prime at the time. Can't I don't know if it still is, but yeah, uh, so it is out there. Mm-hmm. It's uh, wonderful. All all of the all of the the sense of destiny, right? The way Hodorowski like felt this was fated to happen because he's like he, he like I want to I want to find this guy, you know, Moebius. I want I, I need to find him, but I. You know, this is before internet. I don't know how to find him. So I like I'm I'm going to my agent, like, so can I can I and and there he is. He's in my agent's office just by coincidence. You know? And he has stories like that. It was it he he has his uh meeting with Douglas Trumbull to talk about special effects. Nice. And he de- he decides to pass on Trumbull. So he's walking was wow. it Moebius or his uh, producer, Steve? I forget which. Uh, but he's, he's walking down the street after, and he's just like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we can't use him. I don't know who who this is. And there's this movie theater. And yeah. there's this movie playing. A dark star. So we go watch it, and I'm like, I want him. And so that's how he gets Dan <laughs> O'Bannon. You yeah. know? And, and it was it was just like... You know, things like that kept happening where it's amazing. And yeah, like Steve said, his passion. Woo! Uh, it is available to rent on just about every everything for about three bucks. Yeah, and that's worth it. I'll say that yeah, it's worth the three bucks. Do it. You'll okay. enjoy it. You'll enjoy it. And you will you will enjoy it. Yeah. Get you ready for the game coming up. Add it to the watch list. Yeah. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, we got some news to get to, so let's do some news you don't give a shit about. 
Oh, no. you hurt me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh the humanity. I like news you don't give a shit about. <laughs> All, the, always the wonderful contrarian, Matt. <laughs> I, I adore you. I adore you. Unless it's about streaming services. <laughs> uh, there's only one this week. And, uh, and your mileage may vary, but this is definitely where it belongs. Uh, Disney parks have introduced the new Genie program that will replace the current Fast Pass system in their parks. Uh, It's mostly the same, except now you have to pay for it. Uh, Genie will now cost you uh, $15 at Walt Disney World and $20 at Disneyland per ticket per day. And that's just for your basic rides. If you want to ride premium attractions like uh, Seven Dwarves Mine Train or Radiator Springs Racers, you have to use an extra option called Lightning Lane, which costs even more. Uh, So here's how the Disney Parks blog breaks it down. So here's their words. Disney Genie Plus service. Oh, uh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, available for purchase uh, for the price of $15 per ticket per day at Walt Disney World Resort and $20 per ticket per day at Disneyland Resort. Choose the next available time to arrive at a variety of attractions and experience using the Lightning Lane entrance. You can make one selection at a time throughout the day from classics like Haunted Mansion to thrill rides like Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and newer favorites like Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, attraction subject to limited availability. This convenient option is the next evolution of the fan favorite Disney Max Pass service from Disneyland Resort. Disney Genie Plus will also include Disney Parks themed audio experiences and photo features to capture your memories, augmented reality lenses for viewing for those visiting Walt Disney World Resort and unlimited Disney Photo Pass downloads from your day if you are visiting Disneyland Resort. Individual attraction selections available for purchase schedule a time to arrive up to 2 highly demanded attractions each day using lightning lane entrance like the mine rides I talked about before. Subject to limited availability, attractions not included with Disney Genie Plus. Pricing for this option may vary by date, attraction, and park and will be announced closer to launch, unquote. So it's fast pass, but now you pay for it. Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot like the Max Pass that they were selling as an add-on before, but they've also taken the elements of the former Free Fast Pass and combined it into this new G- GD Genie Plus. Plus. Yeah, I mean yeah, it seems like free though, so well, they didn't it, really it's, take anything from the free thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> there there is a pseudo free version of Genie. There's also the Genie Plus, which is what it seems like they're trying to without forcing people into buying that add-on and making the plus. It seems like they're trying to say, well, here's the free stuff, but if you really want to do this, you got to go with the plus, which kind of makes me feel like the, the execs missed the point, you know, when uh, you know Walt used to say, take whatever it is and plus it. It's like, <laughs> okay, now it's, now it's Disney plus, it's Genie plus, it's... Uh, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, here's this free thing, but if you want it without ads, then you yeah, <laughs> then you it's pay. It's exactly it. the same thing. Ugh. 
when do we get to the point where the actually the ride itself changes? So if you you the normal ride, you get the extra ride. But if you're Genie Plus, you get these other animatronics turned on. Uh, yeah. But if you get the by the extra lightning thing, you get all the animatronics turned on plus the video screen background effects too. W- when's that coming? Well, I mean, no, they've the, already the, the, started that with the. Um... Web Slingers ride at California Adventure where you can go to the store and buy the add-on web shooters that give you a slightly better advantage when you go on the ride. They've already started that, so it Ooh. seems like that would be the just the next evolution. Gross. If you want a different if you want a different experience, you got to buy this add-on. The now, uh, the, uh, the free version of it is basically they get you in, they you know the the safe things come over and like, "Okay, are you in there?" All right, get out. Yeah. <laughs> you got out on the ride. Yeah. All and right, a guy get out. in a store-bought costume comes out and slaps you. <laughs> That's your interactive experience. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and you know, on, on the other side of it, all the other theme parks have a, a higher cost to get in if you want to get into the fast line. Right. Know. Especially during like haunted horror nights at all the parks, they especially do it then. Uh, so that's not like this is a new thing that's been going on, but it does suck that Disney was known for having this great fast pass service that was available to anybody. Its whole thing was to keep lines down overall and to help you get into a few rides so you would have at least a decent Disney experience. But now, you have to pay to have a d- decent Disney experience. Yeah. After you've already paid just to get into the park, it's, I mean. Oh, that's what's getting me too. Like these yeah. $200 tickets or whatever. And then it's like, oh, you want, you want to go on the ride? Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Here, please. Okay. You don't which just is, want to walk around is, and look at things. And, and you eat. don't just want to get a $20 hot dog and call right. it a day. Well, and it's weird too because when the park opened, you had the admission fee and then you had the tickets yeah. that you had to buy for the rides. But but one of the videos I was watching recently said even adjusted for inflation, the admission and then the price per ticket for the different ride tiers that they had, it's like still like two or three hundred times what it would have been with those tickets adjusted right. for inflation. So. They have gone way up. So don't they said don't let Disney fool you when they say, Oh, it's no different than when we opened and we had the, the e ticket rides, which were the big rides and blah blah blah, and it, you know, you still had to buy your ticket book, so it's kind of the same thing. No, it's not at all the same thing. <laughs> no, it's the problem with at least Disneyland, that's the one I'm most familiar with because I live in Southern California and I you know, and I used to work there, but that's and so on, and I have a lot of students and friends and everything that, that work at sure. Disneyland. The problem is that when Michael Eisner was head of Disney, and this was, I think, just after I was working there, but he actually publicly said, I'm going to keep raising the ticket prices at Disneyland and Walt Disney World 10% every year until we get a 10% drop-off, and then we'll level out. They've never had that 10% drop-off. <laughs> no, they really they haven't. have that rule either anymore that's right. i got a feeling if they had the 10 percent drop off they just raise it 20 percent. well because the other thing is everyone has been taught i haven't actually been in the park in disneyland for at least five years probably closer to 10 and everyone talks about how even on a tuesday it is packed and you, yeah. you can barely get any rides 
I am old enough to remember that, yeah, if you wanted to go to Disneyland and ride on all the rides, you go on, like they used to be closed Monday and Tuesday. Right. So you'd go on Wednesday, get there right, like right at 9 a.m. when they opened, and just boom, beeline for Space Mountain, beeline for Haunted Mansion, beeline for the Matterhorn, whatever it was. And in the first hour, you're probably going to be able to get on, you know, four or five of, you know, what were then the high demand, you know, long line rides, you know, and get those over and done with by 10 a.m. And then you can just kind of wander around. But dude, dude, oh, yeah. I uh, in, in the 80s, uh, I took a gap year in between high school and college. So my family and I, we had the summer in America. And in September, we were in Florida the day after Labor Day. I went to Walt Disney World, and it was like I had done a big shot billionaire buyout. I yeah. had that fucking place to myself. Yeah. It was just amazing. I had one of the, the greatest days of my life because my parents were like house hunting because they were thinking of getting a place in Orlando. And I just they just dropped me off there and I just hit Pirates of the Caribbean over and over and the, the Haunted Mansion over and no lines, barely people there. It was extraordinary. It was just an amazing time. It's it's funny, too, because like they, apparently stuff like that still occasionally happens at Disney World. Yeah, there is a little bit of drop off during the week, especially in the off seasons when your 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 international travelers aren't really going to Florida as much. But Disneyland uh, one of the analytic firms that was talking about uh, reasons why Disney retired the uh, annual pass said that on any given day at Disneyland, up to 60% of the park attendees were California residents. Yeah. And, and, and at least that many were annual pass holders. So you had such a small amount of people that were buying tickets either day and date or making a reservation ahead of time to buy tickets to go to the park as people showing up with their annual pass and just going in. So it's a very interesting phenomenon, Jeff, because I actually was always a little surprised at the number of Southern Californians who talked about going to Disneyland all yeah. the time. Yeah. And I, I was sort of like, boy, you're lucky. But then I would think about it and it's like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know any, I really didn't know anybody in Florida who, you know, would just ah fuck it let's go to no. disney world today you know yeah. it was never it was never that kind of a thing but disneyland is just something to do well yeah. part of the thing with disneyland is it's right in the middle of anaheim and so you don't necessarily have to park in the parking structure you can find like a side street and if you just want to hike a little ways you can just walk to the park so you're not paying for parking Get dropped you, off by your parents. Or you get yeah. dropped off by your parents. Or... I know several people that grew up in Southern California said, yeah, my parents, you know, they had to, if they wanted to go out on a movie night or a date, they would drop us off at the park and yeah. then pick us up afterwards. Yeah. And we'd spend the whole day at the park riding rides. And I was like, wow, that's a very interesting way to handle, you know. Well, how crazy is this? When I worked there, I worked in the shops at the Disneyland Hotel before it became Downtown Disney, obviously. Mm-hmm. And there were certain days, like usually we only had a half hour lunch, but there were a couple of days when we had like an hour lunch. Like you, that's just the way your shift worked out, where you got like an hour lunch. And in those days, we would sign ourselves in at the monorail station at the Disneyland Hotel, right into Tomorrowland, and 
you know, quickly run over to the Matterhorn or Space Mountain, get on, ride it, and then head back and, and still have time for lunch. <laughs> so it was it was the late 70s, 78 to, 78 to 80 was when I worked there. Man. And and so, yeah, it was, you know, midweek, you know, if you were doing lunch at noon, you could actually go and just boom, get right on one of the, you know, big, like I say, big ticket rides and still make it back by the time your lunch was over and then get the hand stamp. So if you wanted to, you go after work as well. <laughs> Going back to the story, could you imagine being the family that goes there, doesn't buy the extra stuff and just has pays their Two hundred dollars per person, you know, their their eight hundred dollar family yeah. day, and, and not getting those extras, and just having to have the awful experience of waiting in lines all day without any there's kind a, of fast pass option. It's, it's a club become, promoter at the start of the line. Oh, yo, is your name on the list? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can't yeah. get in here. Right. <laughs> no, they got the they got the the promoter saying that he's he's saying. Welcome to the glappiest place on earth. Yeah. 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 I tell you, though, I mean, I I'm seriously considering getting one of the magic key levels, you know, the the replacement program for the annual pass, because I was looking at doing like a two day visit to go to uh, Avengers Campus. And I'm sitting there going, I'm like, so that's nearly two hundred dollars a day. So that's already like four hundred dollars right there. Uh, Not to mention if you have to pay for parking. And I'm sitting there adding it all up, and I'm like, this is why they want you to buy the the Magic Keys. Because if you're going to visit down there more than once in a single year, it actually saves you money, even though it's ridiculously expensive. Yeah. You know, the initial, because like, unless you're a California resident, you can't spread the payments out over the course of the year. If you're a non-California resident, you have to purchase it all up front, full price up front, so... I don't know what I'm going to end up doing, but I know I want to go to Avengers Campus, and I would like to go a couple of times over the next year. But man, it's nine hundred to fifteen hundred dollars. Exactly, it's it's getting to the point. It's like, well, I can go to Disney. Like my wife and I can go to Disneyland for a day, or we can take a seven day cruise. Right. It's, yeah. So I mean, the, the, it's it's getting to the point where the the price isn't matching the experience anymore. No. It's not. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I'll bet you the Star Wars hotel is going to be amazing, but it's <laughs> no way going to be $6,000 a family amazing. I, no yeah, I, I, when they announced that, I was so psyched. I'm like, I'm going to book a trip as soon as it's available, you know, whether it's a couple of years wait list or whatever. And then they released the prices and I'm like, no, I can take like three cruises for the amount of money that it would cost me to do two days at that yeah. hotel. Two days. My wife and I could go to the Star Wars hotel for two days, or we could take a week trip to Europe. Yeah. 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 I I, I mean, uh, for that kind of money, it ought to be some Westworld, future world shit where I'm (laughs) fucking a Twi'lek. You can get on Blue Origin and go to Tatooine for that price. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, And on a similar note, the last time I went to New York was in 2003, and Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster are going to be on a in a Broadway production of The Music Man uh, that starts previews in December and it actually officially opens in February. So I was like, well, that's one of my top three musicals, and with those two in the leads, I can't imagine that it wouldn't be any good. So I I need to go. 
So I've been kind of planning that trip out. And friends of mine who live in New York said, oh, with those two in there, you better start getting your tickets, you know, because they're going to sell out. Right. So I dutifully went to the Winter Garden Theater site and everything. And I'm just like, holy cow. (laughs) Even the cheap seats are 200 bucks. Yeah, it's not what it used to be. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm probably still going to do it, but I need to make sure that I can actually... You know, I can't plan this far ahead is what I'm getting at. I, I have no idea. I'm, so I'm looking at like dates and, you know, during what would be spring break, all this kind of stuff, when I think I might possibly for sure be able to lock in a date. And I'm just like, I, I, it's too far out to be able to pull that trigger yet. Because <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know what kind of classes I'm going to have in the spring or anything like that. So I'm like, I know I need to get tickets, but if there's no refunds, and <laughs> I got to make sure I'm going to actually be able to go before I pull this trigger. Yep. There's Disneyland and Broadway and there's Gatlinburg and Branson for the rest of us. <laughs> That's right. Weekend Geek. Woo-hoo. Roddenberry Entertainment has been working quietly on a feature biopic of Gene Roddenberry. And there's a script by Adam Mazur, whose credits include Emmy-winning script for the 2010 HBO movie You Don't Know Jack, uh, which starred Al Pacino as Dr. Jack Kevorkian. Uh, Producers include Star Trek uh, caretakers Rod Roddenberry and Trevor Roth, who executive produce all current franchise series, including Discovery and Picard. Uh, Next up, the development will be finding director and actors. Roddenberry, the fighter pilot turned LAPD cop turned TV writer, survived two plane crashes and the rough waters of Hollywood to create Star Trek, one of the world's most endearing sci-fi franchises. Having fought with studios in the past over diversity and casting, the crew of the USS Enterprise reflected his inclusive worldview. Roddenberry died in 1991, but of course the franchise is still going full force. And on a side note, today, as we're recording this, would have been Roddenberry's 100th birthday. Yes, indeed. So a, a great uh, announcement and celebration. I think a Roddenberry biopic is like, why hasn't this been done yet? I'm just curious if they're going to just do the whole positives of his life or if they'll get into some of the the other things that, uh, you know, he did. You I'm know. guessing since Roddenberry Entertainment's really driving this, it's going to be mostly the positives. Probably. Well... Yeah, Rod Roddenberry's, I mean, even his Trek Nation has kind of a warts and all yeah. view of his father. Yeah. So I was just going to say, yeah, he, he actually talked about the, the adultery and the, the uh, uh, you know, some of the more interesting aspects of him being a television producer between, you know, his initial success and then coming back into it and kind of alienating some of the uh, the people that had helped him really shape the series. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I would hope that they do the warts and all thing like they did with Trek nation, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, that's usually the way biopics go anyway. So, right. <laughs> and this is when Gene hit rock bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Reggie Jean page has signed on to star in and executive produce paramount's reboot of the saint. With playwright and actor Kwame Kweama, is that how you say it? Kweama? Set to pen the screenplay. Uh, based on the long-running franchise of books and short stories by Lovely Chartres. Uh, Chartres. 
Thank you. Yeah. Uh, the movie will see Paige as Simon Templar, the shadowy, globetrotting English adventurer, come detective, and master of disguise who's willing to skirt the law in order to take down all sorts of bad guys. Uh, Charteris began writing the mystery series in the 1920s and continued for the next 40 years. Over that period, The Saint spawned a slew of movies and popular 60s British spy-fi thriller TV series. Uh, Val Kilmer starred in the 1997 film that had little to do with the novels and was panned by critics and got moderate success at the box office. Uh, No word, of course, on the plot for the page-led version, but... And it's unknown whether Fletcher remains as Helmer as he's currently busy taking on the reins of Paramount Plus's making the Godfather limited series, The Offer. Uh, Page is also attached to Paramount and E1's Dungeons and Dragons film as well. Hmm. So The Saint is coming again. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say there's already a movie on Netflix based on the Templar character from like 2017. So this is how many? The, the third version of this? Fourth version? Modern day version? Saint is one of my favorite characters, and I I have almost all the books and, and everything like that. It, it's and it is it's it's this wacky thing that goes for like forty years, pretty much straight from the mid twenties to the late sixties, even into the early seventies. Even some of the later books, uh, Chaudhary's had them more or less ghost written for him, and a lot of them were actually based on plots from the TV series with Roger Moore, but they're fun. They're fun reads. Uh, he's got a real, very sort of, you know, arch British, you know, style of writing and everything that's, you know, very much like a Noel Coward, you know, bon vivant type of, uh, type of writing. I mean, it's got all these little, you know, catchphrases and that kind of stuff that kind of worm their way through all the stories that, you know, they're there in the 20s and then he loses them in the 30s and then in the 40s it turns into something else and he's got this, like, cast of characters that changes through the years and very much writing in that kind of, you know, pulp character style that, you know, was kind of big, you know, big back then. Just, but just really fun reads. Not nearly the slog fest that, that other books and stories from that time period can be these are they're really fun and to the point where you can actually kind of picture everything in your in your head he's he's a really nice uh a a really good writer in that in that sense you can just kind of you know picture the arch of the eyebrow or the the kind of the drawl of that you know that sort of yes well type of thing (laughs) you know the val kilmer thing has has made me gun shy of any future <laughs> saint stories, but you know, it, if they were more like the Roger Moore TV show or, or the, you know, that, that kind of thing, it would be a lot of fun, but well, what was your problem with the Val Kilmer movie? That it wasn't the saint. Yeah. It was an action hero who, by the way, has the name of Simon Templar, but is nothing like the character. I, I mean, the whole master disguise things, not really. I mean, kind of, but that's not, that's not the core of who the character is at all. That's what he does sometimes, depending on what the adventure is. But that's not his, that's not his thing. His thing is, is he kind of walks in and goes, hello, I'm Simon Templar. Now you're all in a great deal of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you see the, uh, the Netflix one with Eliza Dushku and... Um, yes. Oh. And what did you uh, think of that one? Same, same thing? Yeah, man. Okay. I, that was closer. 
closer to the to the character, but it was very vanilla. I, I think there there you know there's a character there that would still be fun to explore in the 21st century. Well, I, I'll tell you the character that's actually closest to Simon Templar is Lucifer on Lucifer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Way I mean, to bring it around. Yeah, if you're looking for you know what the archetype of that character would be. Yeah. Somebody who comes in and is a little anarchic, but who actually does have a code, you know, that, that he tries to follow and all this type of thing, but is who, so, Oh, let's have a drink. Uh, really? Right now? Well, why not? <laughs> when else? If not now, when, you know? So, I mean, that's kind of who he is. He's a little bit of chaos that gets thrown into the mix. And if you're a bad guy, beware, because that chaos is going to negatively affect you. <laughs> <laughs> it will also negatively affect the law enforcement agents that happen to be around too. But <laughs> I mean, he is, he's one of the, he's the, you know, called the Robin hood of crime. Uh, you know, so he's always, you know, even though the police can never nail him for things, you know, they, they know that, you know, he's the one that, you know, did this little caper, this little heist, right. but you know, he usually performs these capers and heists on bad guys. So, Yes, technically he broke the law, but they're not going to try too hard to pin it on him. Except, you know, there's of course he has his he has his arch nemesis and then uh, Detective Inspector Claude Eustace Teal, you know, who's kind of his Javert, uh, kind of running. I know you did this. I know what I I couldn't possibly have a drink. I'm not going to drink. We did lose a few people this week. Uh, most notably. Uh... Sunichi Sunny Chiba, the Japanese actor and martial arts legend, uh, died of COVID-19 complications. He was 82 years old. Uh, Chiba's career spans almost 200 credits worth of film and television product projects to his name, including the 1974 international hit The Street Fighter. Uh, many of his roles saw him showcase his expert martial arts skills with him going on to choreograph fight scenes later in his career, as well as directing some of them. Uh, Chiba made his debut in the 1961 science fiction movie Invasion of the Neptune Men, but international fans will best recognize him from his roles in Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2, in which Chiba played Hattori Hanzo, the retired swordsmith that trained the bride and forged her sword. He also appeared in The Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift as Kamada, the Yakuza boss uncle of D.K. Takashi, uh, some of Chiba's other film credits include Battle Royale 2, The Bullet Train, The Storm Riders, and many more. Uh, he will appear posthumously in Ryu Yamakita's film Bond of Justice, Kizuna. Uh, also this week, we lost Alex Cord, actor best known for playing Michael Coldsmith Briggs III, a.k.a. Archangel, in the 80s military drama Airwolf. He was 88 years old. Uh, Cord starred in 55 episodes of the action series, which ran four seasons from 84 to 1987. Uh, the show followed the military crew of a high-tech helicopter called Airwolf as they undertook various high-stakes espionage missions. <laughs> you tell them. Uh, Cord, Cord became known for appearing in westerns, action and crime projects across TV and film. Some of his noteworthy credits include Route 66, Police Story, The Six Million Dollar Man, The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Murder, She Wrote, and Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, he's also one of the few actors to appear in both the original and revived version of the CBS series Mission Impossible. His film credits include Stagecoach, Stiletto, The Last Grenade, 
The Dead Are Alive, Grey Eagle, Jungle Warriors, and The Naked Truth. Yeah, he's another one of those actors that over 50 years in the biz and just kept working. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just impressive. I mean, he retired like on a, his own ranch, like, I want to say 2008 or nine, something like that. And just was enjoying life, you know. Yeah, he's a very interesting actor, the, the different roles he was in. I remember him most from Airwolf, but uh, yeah, he's... <laughs> you look at his IMDb, IMDb page, and it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, I'm trying to think what put Alex, Alex Cord on my radar back in the day. It might have been the $6 million man, but I was like... And he would, he would pop up everywhere, and I was like, oh, Alex Cord again. Yep. <laughs> so... I mean, yeah. I remember on... Prior to Airwolf, I would see him like on Fantasy Island, or uh, you know, he was on the Love Boat a couple of times. You look back in the '70s, he was on like almost every mm-hmm. police TV series or some kind of crime drama series, and he yeah. was in a bunch of westerns and so forth. But you know, what what a career to have! You know, you're you're just a constantly working actor. Yep. Yep. He's one of the and, great oh that guy guys. Yeah, very distinct look to him, even yeah. without his signature mustache. There was, <laughs> I saw a picture of him without the mustache, and I didn't recognize him at first. And I was like, oh my god, that is, that is Alex Cord." Too much unusable plastic and the demand for vanilla are what brought about a highly unusual experiment that resulted in something inedible turning into something delicious with the help of bacteria whose Unengineered form causes food poisoning. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> right? Scientists have figured out a way to genetically engineer E. coli bacteria so it can turn discarded plastic into vanillin or vanilla flavoring. This is the first time plastic has been repurposed into dessert. Biologists Joanna Sadler and Stephen Wallace from the University of Edinburgh are our saviors. Uh, the type of plastic used to make the transformation is polyurethane uh, terephthalate, or PET. Uh, we have a PET problem. It's everywhere, from yep. polyester used in clothes to plastic packaging that should be in the recycling bin. About 50 million tons of junk PET get dumped every year, stressing both the environment and the economy. Uh, what's worse is that PET is derived from the same non-renewable fossil fuels that power cars and other machinery. And there's been no methods of biological PET upcycling until now. Sadler and Wallace uh, hypothesized that one of the monomers that make up PET polymers, that's called terapeutic acid, could possibly become vanillin if it went through a process that involved being converted by enzymes from E. coli. The bacteria have been proven to produce the enzymes before. Uh, this is why they were upgraded to express only these enzymes. After promising initial results, E. coli rare bacteria were then further optimized until they eventually yielded an impressive 79% vanillin. This is huge, considering that global demand for vanillin is expected to skyrocket to 59,000 tons this year. It may be best known for things like cupcakes and ice cream and also perfume, uh, but it also has more unconventional uses in pharmaceuticals, weed killers, anti-foaming agents, and cleaning products. 
<laughs> quote, this work substantiates the philosophy that post-consumer plastic may be viewed not as a waste product, but rather as a carbon resource and feedstock to produce high value and industrially relevant materials and small molecules, the scientist said. So synthetic vanilla produced by one of the most infamous types of bacteria associated with food poisoning may someday be one of the things you throw into your grocery bag. What's her names yep. again? The scientists? Uh, Joanna Sadler and Stephen Wallace. All right. Looking for a mysterious lab explosion. <laughs> uh, that's, that's what I love about you, Matt. Your eternal <laughs> optimism. Big plastics. And be like, nope, we want that in the ocean. You <laughs> motherfuckers. It's, it's interesting, too, because as you were saying there, Todd, you know, demand for vanilla across the world is increasing every year. And vanilla bean yields are dramatically reducing every year. So how long before vanilla bean is just far too expensive? And you have, I mean, it's not an exact one-to-one flavor profile, right. but it's close enough that once you add it into certain things, most people can't tell the difference. So, uh, yeah, I mean, why not? Because even a lot of plastics that say they're recyclable they're only recyclable under very specific conditions, and a lot of recycling programs, once they get it into the sorting centers, they do tend to find out, it's like, oh, well, this has happened to it, so now we can't recycle it, so right. it winds up just going into the landfill, or you know, the wind blows before they cover the landfill sections with dirt, and it winds up in the ocean, or you know, in you know, water supplies. Because of that, because of landfills and and the big plastic island in the middle of the Pacific. I'm wondering what would happen if you just kind of let that bacteria go in the wild. I mean, what unintended consequences would there be from, <laughs> from yeah. that? I don't yeah. think that's the idea. No, I know it's not. Because uh, they, they want to be able to collect Ellen. <laughs> I think, I think professor, this is the key moment where Professor Biggs becomes a villain. <laughs> Dr. Biggs. He's turned the oceans into vanilla. Dr. Professor Biggs. <laughs> and after this accident that turned my hands into vanilla, I swore that. <laughs> well, the, the other thing, of course, that's, that's really good about this is all of the beavers' asses that are going to be saved. Yes. Um, we don't have to express them anymore. Yeah. I have no words when it comes to expressing beavers' ass. Yeah. <laughs> Beavers, butts, and E. coli are going to save us in our desserts. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Let's do some red light, green light. Red light, green light. Such a fun game to play. Isn't it, though? It's such a good game, isn't it? I, I call this, this meeting of Done Right Productions the order. Gentlemen, it's time to green light a new show. And I got four pitches here. Hold on, hold on, hold on, what? head producer here. <laughs> make sure, make sure Steve Biggs Productions realizes there's no vampires. That's a good point. There are we no, don't vampires want no vampires. Okay. No vampires in this. Maybe a vampire. <laughs> so I got four pitches. You only get one green light, and one or more of these may be fake. Your titles are Standing By. Right turn at the crossroads, no chance on earth, and out of space. Mm. So we're going to start with the first one. 
Shit's Creek co-creator and star Dan Levy is set to develop a new animated series for Hulu titled Standing By. Levy will co-write the series, produce, and voice one of the lead characters. Standing By is, quote, a satirical look into the lives of a group of eternally bound, disgruntled guardian angels and the lessons they'll eventually learn from not only the dysfunctional humans they're in charge of protecting, but also each other, unquote. A Levy will voice a character named Carrie, quote, the newly deceased cynical spotter to the group who had a lonely, isolated life in New York City. Uh, Levy is developing the series alongside writer and director Ali uh, uh, Pantqua and 20th Century Animation. So what do you think of Standing By for Hulu? I like it. I like Schitt's Creek. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Levy is a good uh, good actor there and voice. So I kind of like that. So A comedy about uh, disgruntled angels? Given the 21st century? Sure. <laughs> Especially since you've been enjoying Lucifer, I think you're kind yeah. of up for it. So, <laughs> yeah. Angels are the new zombies. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the quote of the season. All right, let's see how it uh, stacks up to right turn at the crossroads. Netflix has announced a sequel series based on the movie Crossroads, titled Right Turn at the Crossroads. Ralph Macchio will executive produce and star. Here's the description. 34 years ago, Eugene Martone made a deal with the devil. For 34 years, he's known his guitar up and down, left and right, his skills unmatched. Armed with the hats and a Mississippi string tie, the lightning kid takes on a new era. A young girl has made a deal with the devil who has called upon Eugene to be his champion in the duel. This time, Martone must take a different turn at the crossroads. Uh, Walter Hill, who helmed the film, is on the board to direct. So what do you think of Right Turn at the Crossroads? Wait a minute. I don't know. I, I think that one's fake. They were listening to Devil Went Down to Georgia, and they were like, ah, this sounds like a pretty good idea. And uh, they were like, wait a sec. Jack Black, and this is the greatest song in the world, well, I'm gonna okay, yeah. Tenacious D. All right, cool. I'm gonna pen this and send it in. That one's fake. Uh, An uh, interesting way of going. All right. <laughs> I never saw Crossroads. Is that the story? He made a deal with the devil. It's it's based on the uh, the old blues legend of the uh, the old blues guitarist that went to the crossroads, made a deal with the devil, and got the ability to play his guitar very well. So yeah, Ralph Malcio starred in the movie. What 1986? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know about that. I just yeah. thought it was some guitar road trip movie. Yeah, I never saw it. I don't, know. I don't think I'm going to see this. So <laughs> uh, obviously people are like, well, Cobra Kai, let's break out those Ralph Macchio movies <laughs> and start making TV series. <laughs> well, you said Macho's producing it, so he is a producer on... Cobra Kai, so maybe he's just trying to flex his producer arm. Yeah. Or muscles, rather. I've never seen the movie, but I have seen the whole scene of the guitar off that's at the end against, I think, Steve Vai played yeah. the, the, the yeah. Devil's Champion in that one. That 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 scene's fun, and I always like dealing with the Devil stuff, but it's I an interesting choice. I can see it being a sequel movie. I don't know a sequel TV series. 
Well, I also have to admit, I've not seen the movie either. I, I, I'm in the, the Torgo club at, in this particular instance. So I, I don't know enough about the original movie. Oh, I, I haven't seen it either. So, Well, let's see how it stacks up to No Chance on Earth. Uh, Judd Apatow and Paul Feig are reuniting for No Chance on Earth for Paramount+. Plus. Uh, here's the description. Uh, Keith and Frank are two teenage friends that have always been the weird kids, obsessed with outer space. They have been inseparable until they came across the one thing they have talked about for years, aliens on Earth. Not just any aliens. Meet the Smiths, your typical American family, plus one thing. They're from out of this world and have a beautiful daughter. Now comes the space race for a date, unquote. (laughs) Uh, showrunner Paul Feig, who did Freaks and Geeks, will write with Judd Apatow producing. Uh, the duo created the Freaks and Geeks show way back when. Yeah. So what do you mm. think of No Chance on Earth? Well, I was wondering if it was going to be a comedy about some nebbish guys who try to get laid. And <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so... To carry a series, it's eventually going to need to be more than that. So, I don't know. I mean, the the pedigree's there. Uh, I love Freaks and Geeks. But this this setup, this pitch, isn't really selling me. Because, again, I could see that being a movie, but a whole TV series based on that? Mm. Well, it would have to be a series, because it, it takes a while for a nebbish kid to get laid. <laughs> not if it's a movie that's like that's like at the that's in the second act mi- yeah that's the 65 minute mark <laughs> <laughs> well last it stacks up against out of space uh alfonso Cuaron, who did uh gravity and children of men is teaming up with hbo max to bring out of space to the service HBO's statement describes it as a, quote, heart-stopping space noir of the future. Uh, Ryla Fukushima and Masioka have signed on as showrunners. Here's the synopsis. In the year 3162, cities have migrated to outer space to allow the environment to heal after the great spill of 2215. Potachari Mono and her family are part of the orbiting Kongu City. With pollution taking over the planet's surface, the overpopulated station city is overrun with old world tradition mixed with new world technology. In efforts to expand the city, Post Father Hadaka has been working on a new technology that would clone and expand each quadrant. That is until the member of his team steals the technology and starts using it to clone members of an ancient clan in effort to take over the station. Now Poe and her father must stop them while still making room for the ever-growing and changing station. So that is out of space. What's your thoughts on that? I like that. That's unique. Yeah. Very unique. Um, Most appealing so far. Yeah. I have to agree. So that's your choices. You've got standing by, right turn at the crossroads, no chance on Earth, and out of space. So having that, Matt, where do you put your green light? Well, my green light would have to go with the last one, Out of Space. I find that the most intriguing. I don't think it's been done before, really. So that means it's fake. 
So fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I'm going my green light right there, and uh, I'm 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 praying that my earlier description for Devil Went Down to Georgia Tenacious D is the fake <laughs> one. Hopefully, so we'll get to the fake ones in a second. Uh, Steve, where do you where do you put your green light? Yeah, I think the last one has more legs for a series, right? The 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 ongoing conflicts and everything like that seem like, yeah, you could tell that story over, you know, several seasons. The others, like like I've mentioned before, sound more like movie pitches than TV series pitches. So yeah, I'll go with the last one. All right, Jeff, where do you put your green? Uh, I'm also going to go with Out of Space. Uh, I just, I mean, I like Masioka number one, but uh, mm-hmm. I just feel like. Of the four pitches that we heard, that seems like it's the most original and and has the most potential. Kirsten, where's yours? Standing by, it's like eh, disgruntled angels. You know, if you're not going to do prophecy, I don't care <laughs> about angels. No chance on earth. It's a similar thing. It's just hey, give me. I'm not. I'm not terribly grabbed by that. Uh, right turn at the crossroads was actually a little, a little, a little bit compelling, especially when Matt, you know, threw in the Jack Black. You know, Jack Black is the devil. You, you might actually have something there, and I could see that actually as a series if the whole, you know, thing is Machio's character has to pursue this person to break the whole pact with the devil, but. Out of space, I don't know. I'm picking up some uh, some all uh, altered carbon vibes. Definitely sounds very cyberpunky, and uh, I uh, I like the idea very much. So uh, let's go with out of space. All right, that's a clean sweep for yeah. out of space. So that and being said, <laughs> Matt, what do you think's fake? <laughs> Jesus, um, I, I'm I'm. Part of me thinks it's out of space just because it's so thought out and good in your description, <laughs> at least in the little up uh, out of space. God damn it. I don't want it to be fake, but I just got a feeling <laughs> out of space. Steve, what do you think's fake? Well, again, going on the way that I usually construct uh, pitches, bitches, I think it's the, the right turn at the crossroads. I think uh, somebody was like, Ooh, Here's this kind of obscure thing that, and especially since Ralph Macchio is kind of back in the news and blah blah blah. How about this? So I think that one's a fake one. Jeff, what do you think's fake? Mm, I like what everybody else has said about the, the potentials for being fake, but I'm going to go with no chance on earth because mm. uh, you know comedy, uh, that kind of caliber. It's a it's a possible but not probable in this day and age. So I, I think that I think that one's the fake one. Kirsten, what do you think's fake? I'm actually with uh, Jeff. No chance on earth. Actually, um, our good friend Scully, Scott Schofield, has in his time done some nice Judd Apatow takedowns and and to <laughs> uh, to to steal a phrase from Andy. Uh, this has Scott stink on it (laughs) so i'm gonna go with no chance on earth well the fake one was sent to us by pat sparrow this week Uh, yay and the fake one is no chance on earth Uh, ah i was 50 percent right 
<laughs> as well as Right Turn at the Crossroads. Oh, wow. Huh? As well as Out of Space. All, oh! three, all three sent to us by Pat, DJ oh! himself, meaning that Standing By is the only real pitch <laughs> in this week's section. Oh, wow. Okay. So God, you by. suck. <laughs> you suck. But in a, so this is the Pat Sperl episode. So Standing By actually sounds like a comedic version of Wings of Desire, and I love that movie. And so a comedic take on, on that type of thing. I actually probably would watch that. Oh, sure. Start backtracking, Steve. I know, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> so good job, Pat. Thank you for sending us all these pitches. It, it's, it's wonderful. And I've been warning that one or more may be fake, but I yeah. haven't done multiple fakes. Finally, I decided to make good on that promise. And well, Pat we all picked it, the fake Pat ones. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was interesting, too, because I thought at the most, when you said that you know, weeks ago, that at the most we might get 50% of the pitches be fake. But wow. What one out of four being the real thing? That was that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I'm still waiting and, for all of them. And of <laughs> course, we we chose Pat's uh, out of space to be the one that we green light. We unanimously unanimously did that one. Yeah, right. Uh, but we also uh, identified all the uh, fake ones. So good job on that, guys. Good job. That's right. <laughs> And if you'd like to write to us a pitch, comments at UglyCouchShow.com is where you send it. Put Pitches Bitches in the subject title and uh, write the body of your pitch there. And uh, it might be on the show. In fact, multiple ones might be on the show as uh, <laughs> the rules have changed, gentlemen. <laughs> but until next week, I am Master Targo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Maple Leaf Matt. Professor and we'll Biggs. Talk- and we'll talk to you next week in Geek. How dare you. <laughs> I thought we might still be hungover from last week. (laughs) (laughs) Fans love to see you be somewhat Ah, human. So, you you know, doing doing something stupid in a in a professional setting lets them go. Oh, they're just like me. (laughs) And and Matt, uh, they're they're just they just know that you're never going to be somewhat human. So they don't even (laughs) bother thinking about it. Okay. Hi, fellas. Hello. I'm the hype girl. So um, while we're on break, everybody say boo. Boo. Bees. Bees. Boo. Bees. Boobies. Bees. Yay. Um, But I'm being stared at. Apparently, I'm getting hawked. I got to get off. Oh, dear. Uh Um, I just wanted to say hi to all you fellas. (laughs) <laughs> Boobies. 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 Have a good show, guys. I just had to say hi to all your faces. Here, here's here's the real hype, man. Oh, I don't know, man. Bastard show I go. Matt, did I just see you lift up Gloomhaven? Yeah, uh, I also bought Gloomhaven. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, that could have been brought up at the goddamn part. <laughs> I never <sighs> I don't. I gotta, start I, don't... Taking, I gotta start taking notes, but I just yeah. Don't have time. That's all right. Say, you'll save it for next time. Right. And, no, and maybe you you'll have played a scenario or two. Probably not. There I was on the <laughs> banks of the Amazon. Oh my! And, uh, <laughs> and this fish had like swum up my penis. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it was just like, what the? You know, god damn it! So uh, I. Uh, 
Are you ready yet, Matt? Okay. So I peed, and uh, the fish came out. out. Yeah, because apparently the fish doesn't like to drink pee. So don't That's pee okay. when you're in the water. But if the fish gets in you, pee. The fish hates the pee, and okay. it'll, it'll it'll jump right out. The All barbs right. hurt. It's too alkaline. Yes. It's just... Are you ready, Matt? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. No. Apparently, so, I've lost the message. But basically, you sent me a photo. Like, this is hilarious. Like, I'm missing a whole day of text. This is hilarious. Uh, 